This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. Oh, Johnny. One more episode before the grand final, eh? <laughs> yeah, we we survived the first week of the bye, and we're on the home stretch now. It's, uh, it's getting real. Yeah, absolutely. It was a long time coming to get grand final week properly started, but uh, yeah, we're here now, and uh, we've got plenty of interesting stuff to talk about, so... Uh, what is that interesting stuff, you might ask? So we'll be doing an extensive grand final preview and uh, basically just entailing some interesting questions myself and Johnny have come up with, and then we'll move on to some top grand final moments. So how far back are you going with some of these moments, Johnny? Uh, we're going to keep it to the modern era. Uh, look, there's some great ones before that, but I think for um, our audience's sake and time constraints, we'll keep it to the modern era. So what's that, like 1990 onwards? Yep, 1990 onwards. Easy. And uh, we've also got myself had a go counting down to the top uh, grand final of the past decade, so from 2011 to 2020. So we'll see what make up the top couple of spots there. Kind of spoilt for choice, really. So there's plenty, plenty of great games in that period. Oh, yeah. So depending on how long this goes as well, I may end up splitting this into two or three episodes so uh yes if that's the case keep an eye out on the feed in the coming days probably release one at a time so all those formalities are out of the way let's jump into it start previewing this big grand final between two victorian teams melbourne demons versus the western bulldogs great to be able to say that for sure mm. <laughs> yeah, something different all right Question number one, when do you believe that it was actually possible that Melbourne would get to another grand final again? So obviously they got there in 2000, there have been some very dark times between now and then. So was there a point in time where you started to believe this might be possible? Not necessarily that it would happen, but that you know it could happen in the not so distant future, or at least one of the possible futures. <laughs> um. With the question, is it is it more to do with at what point this season or was it at what point over the journey since we made our last one? Yeah, it's more the journey. So it yeah. could be this season if that was when you only saw it, but it could predate that as well, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think in 2018 we definitely had a bit of a taste and we kind of felt that if this particular group got on a run, they were capable of some things that might be a little bit beyond what we could have imagined. But uh, I think it was definitely solidified this year. Because uh, at the start of this year, I, I didn't think we were going to make it at all. I kept telling people that I thought Melbourne was a, a perfectly average team, like the, <laughs> the 10th place kind of team. Uh maybe just in or just out of the eight. I thought that we needed a lot of improvement to be challenging for top four honours and things like that. But, um, yeah, I think that 2018 season was a big step towards getting out of the doldrums and onto the, I guess, bigger ambitions that, you know, maybe sometime down the track winning a flag wasn't all that impossible. We The early part of the last decade was very, very... <laughs> Very far away from that. I, I yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised if we didn't have a shot within ten years of it. 
What, what, were your, what do you think then? Yeah, I'll just pick up on that point you just made then about how far away it actually seemed. So, yeah, going back to sort of early 2010s when Melbourne was just absolutely woeful. It looked a million miles away. And, uh, you know, that was the time where, you know, Hawthorne's team was rising and they weren't even winning premierships in the early part of that decade. So it just seemed like the level to win a premiership was so high. You had to have so many fantastic players and you had to be playing, you know, at such a high level. And I just couldn't actually imagine how Melbourne was actually going to get from where they were to that point. But, you know, they've built steadily. And, uh, yeah, it's started to become reality. It almost got to a point where making the finals was a premiership in itself. It was, it, it even that just felt like a very difficult task in the early Ruse days. And, yeah, it, it definitely was um, a brick-by-brick brick process. Yeah, absolutely. So... I can't actually remember the specific time that I thought that this might something like this might be possible. I'm pretty sure it was either towards the end of 2017 or maybe near the beginning of 2018 because I remember thinking, oh, you know, this Sam Wiedemann's pretty good. And he was like, this was in his probably his first or second year. And I was thinking, you know, he's actually a guy who's coming in at about the right time. And, you know, if things click for Melbourne, he could actually be a premiership player. And obviously it hasn't really worked out for Wiedemann yet, it may in the future, but I think, yeah, it just showed this slight change in mindset to be thinking, okay, this guy could actually win the premiership if he, you know, hangs around for another 10 years. Like it actually, I could see some of those uh, bricks that you're talking about, some of what was needed to actually get to a grand final, I think was starting to be a little bit more obvious, as you're saying, in 2018, but uh, yeah, so it was definitely a slow process, but yeah, even to get there this year, it's probably been, even once you started seeing science, it's been like another sort of four or five years from that point. So yeah, it's just yeah. an interesting way to kick it off, I guess. Good call, yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, that, that sort of got me thinking, uh, going back to that 2017 year, I think... The moment that Clayton Oliver became a regular in our midfield was probably the moment that we became a much more competitive unit. Because uh, 2016, there was still a lot of um, ebbs and flows in our form, I thought. Uh, I think we started off the season with that really good win against GWS from memory. Hopefully I've got that right. But we were flaky every now and then. We'd still go missing in a lot of games. And that was Clary's first year, I think. And he was in and out of the team. But I'm pretty sure from round one, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure from round one in 2017, I don't think he missed a game that year. Sounds right, and, yeah. And um, he just, yeah, he just, uh, another full preseason, he just upped the ante and he was just... Yeah, he was doing, fantastic in his second yeah. year, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. Looking like a season mid. We were no longer, we stopped getting belted in 2017, I found. The years of hidings that we were getting really seemed to... Uh, slow down with I guess we were winning a lot of contested ball back then so we were just very hard to beat in that midfield correct um, me if I'm wrong but was that the year that we missed the finals by like 0.5% that's yeah. the one yeah that's losing the one. to Collingwood and then having to rely on Adelaide beating West Coast over there <laughs> yeah yeah not a good time not a good time but uh, yeah that was a a real developmental season uh, for Melbourne 
Probably unlucky Absolutely. not to make the eight, but yeah. All right. So this leads me into my next question. At what point this year did you start to believe it was possible for Melbourne to win the premiership? So I know you've been pretty sceptical all the way through, which is probably a natural defence mechanism for a lot of Melbourne supporters. So they can uh, share that with you there. But uh, yeah, when did you actually start to think that there was a decent chance, or maybe not a decent chance, but you know, some chance that Melbourne were actually going to be holding up the cup at some point this year? Well, look, you know, I'd like to think that I'm level-headed <laughs> more so than sceptical, but yeah, it's obviously scepticism comes into it as well. But yeah, this this is I had thought about this a fair bit actually, especially today. Um I think the week between the Bulldogs second game that we lost and the Gold Coast game at Marvel is really underrated. And I think that being up in Queensland, being on the tarmac and all that stuff, coming back, playing midday, getting the job done by 98 points or whatever it was against Gold Coast. And then what happened after that as well, uh, going over to West to Perth to play West Coast, m- Monday night game. Like the, the wind, so to speak, was pretty firmly in our face for these tasks. And yeah, yeah. There was a lightning delay like that just never happens. Anything and everything that could just get in our way was there. But, uh, you know, they had a red-eye flight waiting for us straight after the game. That got delayed, I guess. And they got through that. I think that two-week block was really, really impressive. And I, I think it, I, I don't want that to get forgotten about mm, uh, yeah. when people start talking about the Bulldogs run in the last few weeks because that was really... Yeah, that just showed a lot of resolve, I thought. And that there's that moment. And I think the obvious one was also beating the Cats down at um, GMHBA. That sort of... Um, that was the moment that I thought Melbourne went from being a top four team. And it, there's no such thing as an average top four team. But going from a top four team, that in that game, I was happy to kind of just lose it and maybe play well in the second half, but get ready for Port the week after... Going from that to really having a genuine shot at a flag, I thought we went up a level in that whole night psychologically. I thought, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So I think I remember after the Cats game, which was I think around four or five, maybe I think it was around four. I remember just thinking and about what happened and. You know, they just picked Geelong apart that day. I know they had a couple of players missing, but they were just so clinical. And, yeah, I remember leaving the MCG that day just thinking, you know, Melbourne are actually good this year. <laughs> it was it was a really yeah. weird feeling. but That was the round four one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, round four. So it was a great game. Cats really only had one little patch where they came back, but Melbourne really controlled it throughout. And, yeah, just started thinking, like, you know, there aren't – normally as a supporter, you know, I would absolutely dread – you know, coming up against top four teams because Melbourne would get smashed. That's just what happened. Yeah. But it suddenly it just seemed like, you know, there weren't really any teams that Melbourne should be afraid of. So maybe that was the first seed. And then, you know, I didn't want to get too far ahead of myself. Like, you know, no one does really. But And then, you know, by the time we'd banked sort of nine wins, I was starting to think, yeah, if we, re- if we don't win a... F- home final or if we don't win a final against the top four team from here I'd feel like you know it's not a great you know use of that position so Mm. 
I guess that was the sort of the start of when I started to have some expectations that they really need to be making the most of this opportunity. That round four game, um, I, very similar. I kind of walked away from that thinking, um, yeah, this team could be the real deal. Uh, whether they, you know, challenge for a flag is or not is different. But uh, I definitely sort of walked away thinking it doesn't matter where this team's been. Let's focus on what they are right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was that was a big yeah, big catalyst in the whole thing. Uh, I know I mentioned a few moments, but also the win against the first game against the Bulldogs, winning that yeah, after that having a, a first loss against Adelaide, just the emphatic response, and then the next week on Friday night going to play Brisbane, being down, showing the resolve to win. I thought those two games, that was definitely where I turned towards. Oh, look. Yeah, we got to be we got to be going for top four now, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that was a big yeah. turning point as well. So there's a few key moments there that we've identified, but I think one thing that hopefully you'll agree with this, Johnny, it just completely feels different with Melbourne this season. Even when they were decent in 2018, they still had that underlying, maybe not flakiness, but it just didn't seem that solid. And you know, people are always waiting for Melbourne to fall over or something bad to happen. It just never quite seemed like it was going to happen with this team, even when they had their dip in form in the middle of the year where they probably were doing extra training and getting more loading. And, you know, that's going to influence the way we're trying to play with the explosive style and putting on a lot of pressure. But it never has this year has really felt like Melbourne has been burdened by what's happened in the past, which is a real credit to the group, I think. Well, yeah, and I think the difference this year is that the teams that have beaten us... Um, have, uh, they've really had to work for it. They've most of them. I'm not. We, you could say the Bulldogs possibly, but maybe they weren't quite at their best either. I don't know. But specifically Adelaide, Collingwood, uh, maybe GWS. They they had to play pretty close to their best to get the to get the chocolates against us. Yeah. And uh, just that's that's the difference. I think this is a Melbourne side that is just. It's very hard to beat, and if you're going to beat them, well, geez, you're going to be there. You have to be there right till the very end. It's not going to be easy. Absolutely. Of course, there are two sides in this grand final. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more focused on Melbourne, but we do have some Bulldogs questions here to work through. So, uh, yeah, I think with a little bit of revisionist history, everyone sort of agreed that they have been the second best team all year. If you did dig a bit deeper, it would seem like... You know, they probably should have finished in the top four, but for a couple of really quite weird circumstances in round 23 and, you know, losing a couple of games where they really needed to solidify that top two position. But they've gone the long way around and made it, and all credit to them. So the question I have, Johnny, is, is this Bulldogs team better than their grand final side in 2016? Obviously, they went on to win that uh, premiership, but... Yeah, I don't know whether you've had a chance to have a quick look at this on paper, but on paper, which side would you be favouring? I know it's a very hard question it's when really... one team's win a pre- won a premiership and one hasn't, but yeah, what do you well, reckon? Well, yeah, have to take that into account as well, but it's actually really, really close, I think. Um, you look back at the 16 team and they've got... Uh, I mean, the, the, the playing style is very similar, obviously. You've got a team that controls it, both uh, you know on the inside and on the outside um, and moves it fast by hand uh, 
got midfielders that get to plenty of contests. Uh, but I don't know the the um the backline for the dogs in twenty sixteen was a bit more experienced, I think, with uh, Matty Boyd and Dale Morris. Yeah, that really uh, stood out to me. They had Hamling yeah. back then as well in good yep. form. Wood in good form as well. So yeah, they had a really solid backline. I think it was solid. I think it definitely takes the points over the current one. Um, the midfield, again, very similar. The midfield might be a bit deeper now, I guess, but uh, it's not that different. You've still got you know, you've got Dunkley, Bontepilli, McRae. It's most uh, of the same guys there, isn't it? It's, it's just most of the same guys to the, the honeypot, I guess. But um, but it, it, they're just more experienced now, so you'd think that would favour this side, uh, right? And that that is one plus for this side. I do like the experience factor, the mature factor. Uh, this is also a midfield, I think, that doesn't really get bossed around as much. Um, there might have been a slight knock on them in some finals, like uh, the GWS one comes to memory from 2019, I think, where they just got roughed up a bit and, uh, yeah, it wasn't the best day for them. And I think they, you know, they can sort of take it a bit more now. And the forward line, I can't split. I actually can't split it at all. I think, uh, you know, you had Jake Stringer, you got Clay Smith. Uh, Tori Dixon yeah. played a good role for him there. Oh, fantastic. Pickin. Shot Dixon. Liam Picken, fantastic. Uh, and obviously Tom Boyd, who played a great grand final. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, it's a really, really tough one. Yeah, I think. But I'm, I'm going to say no. Okay, so unless I know because they don't have the flag, <laughs> <laughs> it is it's really close. I agree. I think I would give the slight edge to this current Bulldogs forward line, but it is pretty slight. Just with you know, it was a bit of a cobbled together forward line in that 2016 yes final series, but it worked for them, and uh, yeah, they got the results. So. It's very close. I think I would probably just give the edge to this current team, but yes, that's probably more just on the strength of the slight... I think, yeah, it is a better forward line they've got now and just the more experience through the midfield, but yeah, I'm not... More options up forward. There are definitely more options, but geez, the strength of that back line in 2016 really does swing it back, so... It's pretty good. If anything, they might... This might sound a bit strange, but I think they might have been harder to play against in 2016. But this, yep. t- the current team is probably more talented. Yeah, I think there was a bit more unpredictability about them back then. Um, but yeah, the, the the list is deeper now. I'd say. Yeah. So yeah, splitting hairs there. You've gone for the 2016. I'll go for this crop. But yeah, both very good sides and hard split. Yes. All right, next dogs question, although it's got a bit of a Melbourne twist to it. <laughs> Are the dogs the most difficult matchup for Melbourne of anyone who finished in the top eight? Um, yeah, look, difficult one. Uh, it's, I mean, look, it sounds silly, but the, the most difficult opponent for Melbourne right now is the opponent they're playing this weekend. <laughs> if that's, that's true. That's very true. But um, out of the eight... I don't know if I'd have them quite the most difficult, but I reckon I'd have them about second. I think the most would probably, it sounds stupid in hindsight, but I definitely feared the Geelong setup a bit more than the Bulldogs a month out or so. 
So what was it about Geelong that made you feel that? And for the record, I do agree with you, but I'll give my reasoning after you yeah. give yours. Why did why did you fear Geelong in these final well, series? It's, it was a Geelong was always a real strange one. I thought because I thought our style could match up with them, but at the same time, their style was so different that you kind of weren't really sure what to expect sometimes. Um, whereas I don't know. I just I've always felt with the Bulldogs. I mean, the Bulldogs could be a bit unpredictable too, but I, I don't. Know, I just felt more confident going into Bulldogs games than Geelong games. I thought this year. Oh, well, Aside from the prelim, I think that was weight weighted in our favour. But yeah, I just I was I was never sure with Geelong. I was never sure that, that when if they sped it up or if they might pull another Chris Scott masterstroke. And uh, yeah, I just thought they might have had a few too many stars in the team. Yeah, that I think might have given us problems. For me, with Geelong, it was more just seeing what they look like when they do hit their top level. When when they're you know three big forwards, and I guess Rowan's kind of included in that with Cameron Hawkins. When they're up and going, they're definitely hard to stop. And they do have, you know, a very defined way of playing. And when they get that up and going, they can cause some problems. You know, they yep. caused Richmond some problems through a different, few different final series. They never won those games, but they were close. So I guess that kind of feeds into what you're so, sort of saying about them having such a different playing style. If they were actually able to get the game on their terms, which they kind of did for a very small part of that game in round 23. But yep. um, yeah, just how different it was, was actually kind of a threat because, you know, could Melbourne actually deal with that? Something they ne- didn't necessarily come up against a lot. And uh, yeah, I think we both agreed that the pressure was the key and we saw that sort of play out in the prelim final. But yeah, maybe that was where some of the fear was coming from just because, they do have, you know, star players. They have a defined way of playing, and if they got it on their terms, they could actually, in theory, take it away from Melbourne. Yep, yep. Um, I think with the Bulldogs, uh, like I think at best maybe they were the second, uh, but you could also make a case for if Brisbane was fully up and running, and they were getting the game on their terms, they might have given us some problems as well. But uh, I don't know. Some people are a bit mixed on that. I would stick with, yeah, I'd go maybe the second. Okay, second. Yeah. I would probably say the Bulldogs are the most dangerous in terms of if they can, you know, get some of their game working the way they want it to, they can cause some problems. And we'll get into some of that with these next few questions. But uh, I did actually say to you at the start of, this wasn't in the podcast, but I said to you, Johnny, at I think in a message at the start of the uh, final series because it looked like, you know, we we're going to be drawn to play Geelong one way or another if we won that I first remember one. What you said. I basically <laughs> said, you know, I think if we can be- get past Geelong, we'll probably win it. If yeah. if we don't, we won't, <laughs> basically. Yeah. It was as simple yeah. as that. So no, That stuck with me as well. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, that was just based on the fact that, you know, Geelong at the time was still looking pretty formidable. They hadn't lost to Port yet. They did have, you know, the experience. They had a way to take the game off Melbourne. So I thought that was going to be a big challenge. And, uh, yeah, they came through that with flying colours, I suppose. And aside from us, Geelong did beat every other team in the top four. So, and in below as well, in the Bulldogs. So Yeah, they they did have yeah. some really good games, didn't they? They beat the Bulldogs. 
They beat Port, obviously. Yep. They beat Brisbane. So, yeah, they've, they've had a good year, but it just doesn't quite work in finals for whatever reason. No. We've talked about that in depth, so we, we won't, definitely have, we won't yeah. go into that again. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see if that little adage that I threw out there holds true. One win away. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. So if the Dogs are going to win the grand final, what do you think their trademark might be coming out of this game? What will they be remembered for? Yeah, pretty similar to 2016, I guess. A team that, you know, is just real impressive with grand ball pressure, very quick to get the ball moving out of the contest, uh, sometimes too fast. <laughs> and, yeah, just always putting good pressure on, running running ability, I guess. Um, and just being that team that the never-say-die attitude, I guess, uh, the they seem to relish the situation with their backs to the wall. Um, yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. So I think my thinking is similar. If they win this, it's going to be on the back of their running power and their ability to scrap, mostly in their forward line, but just, uh, you know, the ability to find space. They sh- they'll have some good skills on display, obviously. And yeah, it's not going to probably be the prettiest game for the Western Bulldogs, even if they find a way to win, but mm. I think they'll they'll be getting a lot of goals uh, from ground level inside fifty if they're going to be putting on a winning score. Not, so they have to, yeah. yeah. So they'll be they'll be scrapping to get there. But uh, yes, much like two thousand sixteen, they'll be remembered for that you know manic hunt on the ball and just doing whatever it takes to win. And that's probably one of the things that makes them the most dangerous because they do have that in their arsenal just to be absolutely uh, manic and uncompromising. All right, same question for Melbourne. If Melbourne are going to win the grand final, what will their trademark be and what will they be remembered for? Oh, look, they're a side that's had one of the best well-drilled systems we've seen in a while. Uh, A team that just really, really fit, possibly, I would say, the fittest team in the competition. I don't think anyone's fitter. If there was a fifth quarter in a game, you'd back our guys to <laughs> go on playing, I think, in most of these games. And uh, and it comes across in the attitude as well. You feel like these guys just want to play. Um, yeah, they're a side that's obsessed with doing the team things, running in numbers when they get a break, uh, turnover. Uh, you know, and they're a team that suffocates you into submission. And takes your best weapons off you. I, I look at this team yeah, sometimes absolutely. as a like a uh, a very very good NFL defense <laughs> that just suffocates you, doesn't let you move <laughs> the ball, uh, has a good zone defense. Yeah, it's um yeah, you just can't score. So yeah, I think they'll definitely be remembered for having the ultimate structure and being well coached. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's gonna be they're gonna be remembered for their team defense and just ability to choke the life out of the opposition if they're going to go on and win this, I think. And, uh, yeah, just the ability to be powerful out of stoppage and uh, get the game on their terms by being really hard at it as well. So some similarities to the Bulldogs, but I guess the main difference there is uh, the style in terms of having that really good setup behind the ball and, uh, yeah, just running really well both ways. Bulldogs do similar, but... Yeah, just that explosiveness when they get the chance to go. And uh, yeah, hopefully getting a few goals running back towards goal, not having to get everything up on the lead. But uh, yeah, 
That's my two cents. <laughs> yeah. No, beautiful. All right. So what do the dogs need to do to actually win this game? If they're going to win it, how are they going to do it? Uh, yeah, I've had a big think about it. And it's actually, it's hard thinking like this because, you know, <laughs> we're, not pa- we're not paid like coaches and we don't have the hours to put into this that coaches do. But uh, I've come up with a few things. I thought you were uh, going to say it was going to be hard because you didn't want to think how Bulldogs could actually win. <laughs> oh, I also don't want to think about that too. It's hard to think about it uh, uh, positively for the dogs' sake. But, um, well, they need to stop Jake Lever. Uh, he averages 10 intercepts a game. And whether it's doing something like they did last week with Josh Shackey or just finding some kind of way to get him to play one-on-one, uh, this is a much harder task than it sounds, by the way. Um, that's what they've got to do. They, they've really got to find a way to isolate Lever. And it's also not going to be as easy as it was last week, I reckon, with Aaliyah. Because Aaliyah, I actually saw some of those highlights again. Didn't really do much to alleviate the situation. Nah, I didn't think he, he did uh, look a bit passive, didn't he? Yeah, he looked very static. He didn't sort of take Shecky to other parts of the defensive 50 or uh, he didn't take another man. He didn't go for many contests. I don't know. Look, I just can't see it being that easy this week. Um, the second thing is they probably need to tag either Track or Petrarca or Oliver. Um, it'd just be a big mistake to let these guys get off the chain and maybe someone like a Tom Liberatore will get that role. Because, uh, yeah, I just think it's it's going to be silly to sort of play like a, a one-off sort of thing in the midfield with the way these guys are working at the moment. I think they might have to limit some damage. And the thirdly, I've got... They've just got to find a way to break down the D's defense. I mean, again, this is going to be much easier said than done, but maybe with uh, some quick and patient build-up with their ball movement, it sounds like a bit of a <laughs> bit of an oxymoron there, quick and patient. But they need to. There is one thing that the dogs <laughs> do pretty well, and they did it very well in 2016. It was this quick but tactical movement of the ball. It is something they do quite well, but it is a massive balancing act as well. And they did it really well against Port. Can they hold their nerve this week and not resort to throwing it on the boot long into the 50? That's the challenge. But I think this is what they need to do. They need to find a way to just um, be patient with their build-up and try and trick the Melbourne defense because it might invite some pressure and it could backfire dramatically, but I I don't really see any other way that they can approach it. I mean, do you see any other way, Dan? Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot has to go right for the Bulldogs to win this game. So for me, it starts in the ruck. They need to find a way to maybe not break even in the ruck, but they need to limit what Gorn and Jackson are doing. If Gorn and Jackson have anywhere like the finals they've had earlier in the season. I think the game's almost over just with that one thing. So they need to find a way to do that. Um, I think they do need to uh, be able to put enough pressure on inside 50 to give themselves repeat chances, um, not letting Melbourne clear it too easily and actually give themselves some chances to set up for some inside 50 stoppages as well where they can be quite dangerous but yeah similar to what you were saying I do think they have to choose the right time to go quite quickly when they're entering the 50 I think if they're going to go slow um, 
the whole time, they're just not going to score enough. Similar to what no. I was saying with Geelong. About and the Cats, yeah. We saw what happened to them. They didn't go fast the whole game and what they kicked, six goals. <laughs> yep. I know it's a yep. bit bit of an indictment there, but you know Melbourne didn't let them do that. So no. Suicide. you got to... You got to hit back against Melbourne. Melbourne is not going to beat themselves. So, yes, you got to take some stuff away from Melbourne. That's the ruck dominance and the ability to defend the way they want to defend. So, even if Bulldogs are going to win this game, they're not going to have it all their own way. But I think they have to find some ways to, uh, you know, give themselves better looks than most teams get against Melbourne. Yeah. So that would be what I'd be doing. Obviously, Luke Beveridge and his team are very tactically astute, and it'll be interesting to see what they've come up with to try and pick apart this Melbourne defence that basically seems impenetrable when they can set up the ground the way they want and they can put enough pressure on. So, yeah, I'm going to be eating my words here if Melbourne doesn't win this game, but (laughs) it looks, on paper, it looks very difficult for the Bulldogs to win this game if Melbourne brings the pressure and the composure. Yeah. Yeah, look, as, yeah, as far as dogs go when the ball's in hand, I just I just can't see any other way that they're going to get it in the right into the right place without some kind of just fast but uh, fast but methodical build up. I, I, it doesn't really make much sense and like I said, it could invite pressure and blow up in their face. But um yeah, it, it's the only it's really the only way I can see it happening if they can pull it off i mean they did pull it off very well against port but yeah yeah can, uh, can they do that again i know people were very asked. impressed by that port game but and bulldogs play extremely well take nothing away from them but i think melbourne's performance reflecting on this a little bit is a lot more impressive geelong's pressure indicators were still high they were still yep. engaged in that game Port were not. They basically no. didn't exist for large portions of that game. So even if you can say Bulldogs were awesome, yes, they were, but why were they awesome? It was because Port didn't fire a shot in the yeah, worst exactly. sense of the word. I Yeah, and I'm not trying to moz the dogs or anything, but I, I just, to be totally honest, I can't see them having the ball movement and the – it was – it really was all on their terms. They would sort of bring it out from the wing and wait that extra second, and it meant that Port defenders like Aaliyah had to play one-on-one that extra second. I just, I've seen someone suggest that that could be the way to do it. I'm not really sure if, I don't think that this Port, I think I might have even said it last week, I don't think the Port defence can be compared to the Melbourne defence. I think that they are completely different systems, structures. Port did well with what they had, uh, but, I think you could um, you could really test the patience of this Melbourne backline, and they'll stay quite quite sound. I think so. Look, not saying it can't be done, uh, but it's very hard to do it, and it's very hard to do it for four quarters. So, just looking yeah. at some of the raw numbers, um, what was it that I quoted? So, against top five teams, I think Melbourne is six out of seven. So, the one loss there coming to the Bulldogs in that downward patch in form where maybe the loading was uh, had a bit to do with that and they're 10 of 12 against top eight teams. So for someone who's looking at the numbers, Melbourne's basically the unbackable favourite. And, you know, the odds they're at at the moment, $1.65, $1.70. If you just, you know, someone who's looking purely at the numbers, those are very good odds for a team who basically has had two losses for the season against 
like opponents. Yep. Yep. Uh, I do think Steph Martin will help. I think without him, it would have been a much bigger task, but it would be interesting to see what he can offer the dogs and whether they can nullify Max. All right. Next question. We'll run through these for the dogs first, and then we'll go circle back and do the, them for the Ds. So uh, who is the most dangerous player from Melbourne that the dogs need to limit? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think Cozzy Pickett. I think uh, the work that he does off the ball is <laughs> is almost, if not more impressive than what he does with the ball. I mean, some very, very small things, but I don't know if you've noticed, Dan, after we kick it behind, he is always the person manning the mark for the behind Okay, no, I haven't really team. noticed that much. <laughs> um, and he gets to the he gets there straight away, which means there's no chance for any play on and yep. run out and long kick down the ground. Much harder I to get noticed the it last week. Oh, exactly. And I noticed it last week. It happens every time. As soon as we score, he's always there. It's a really smart so, strategy, actually, because then you can you know you can bring up Lever or May and actually or even yes. just Gorn and have the contest there that you're a very good chance of winning. But if you didn't have Cozzy there and you're conceding that extra ten meters, it's a lot harder to defend that kick in. Yeah, exactly. And you might get that the odd one that goes over the top and yeah, there's trouble. But uh, I think also what he can do when he does get a few touches, it's he's a, gonna be a very hard person to pick up, man, you know, defending wise. Uh yeah, I think I'm I'm, I'm going with Cozzy. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I kind of tipped my hat in the previous question. I think it's Gorn. If Gorn yeah. has an influence, I know it's an obvious one, but if Gorn has a big influence on this game, I think Bulldogs' chances go from maybe, you know, 35% down to about 5%. So you can't, as a Bulldogs supporter or anyone who has anything to do with them, you can't let Gorn do anything in this game, basically. He needs to be nullified. Otherwise, the game is almost over, I, I think, personally. Yep. Yeah. No, I think that's a good good choice, Dan. All right. So seeing what early in the game would send alarm, bo- alarm bells through the dogs camp. So what would you least want to see uh, early in this game from a dog's perspective? Uh, from a dog's perspective, you would not want to see repeat Melbourne entries. You would not want to see the ball locked in there for long periods of time. And you certainly wouldn't want to see a few goals kicked out of those early opportunities. I think the dogs have to start this game well. Yeah. And if they don't, I think they'll be in serious, serious trouble. I don't think that... I don't think Melbourne's typically a side that, this season anyway, that really gets run down too often. Uh yeah. Interesting. Pretty much the bottom line. All right. For me, if I'm a dog supporter, the the last thing I want to see is uh, clean exits from center clearance from Melbourne, coming out the front of the stoppage, mm. getting it deep inside 50. And the second part of that is trying to bring it back. If the ground is just you know set up like a spider web and you just can't get out, those would be ringing the alarm bells for me. Yep, yep, good point, then. <laughs> I right. like it. Let's circle back and we'll do the same questions for the Ds now, and that'll pretty much wrap things up. So uh, if the Ds are going to win this grand final, uh, we've done that one, go to the next one. <laughs> yeah. um, what do the Ds need to do to win this game? Yeah, look, 
very similar to what we've needed to do in these, I guess, you know, what we're saying we needed to do against Geelong in the prelim. We just needed to get off to a good start. We need to, I think we definitely need to stretch the dogs a bit. Um, use the wide open space of Optus. You know, dogs are used to playing on a smaller ground in Marvel, you know, maybe go for a few switches early, get them running hard. Um, Need to lock the ball in the 50, obviously. Need to keep that pressure up. We say it all the time, Dan. We've got to keep that pressure up from the word go. Sure do. And uh, take as many of our opportunities as we can. Yeah, it's a pretty simple formula for Melbourne. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's rinse and repeat. And this is one reason I actually don't mind the two weeks off for Melbourne because I think, and again, if this doesn't happen, I will look very silly, but... I think they've actually nailed this preparation. They nailed the preparation coming into the prelim. And I know it's not ideal to only have, you know, two games in a month, but the way Melbourne plays is a very taxing style. So I think the two-week break just completely refreshes them from the prelim. Not that they wouldn't have been fresh, you know, the next week, but I think that's a good thing. And they can just be, you know, like men possessed again and just throw everything at this. So I think that'll be good for, uh, and, you know, whatever little niggles people were feeling, you know, hopefully you can get over that in two weeks as well. So I think Melbourne should be absolutely primed to hit this with, uh, you know, full strength here. And, uh, you know, the look in some of the players' eyes and determination at prelim, they just weren't losing that game no matter what. So I want to see that same steely determination in this grand final. Whatever the dogs throw at Melbourne, it's not going to be enough. That's the mentality. And just work for each other, pressure, take your chances, reset. I think that's that's an interesting thing. I'm not sure whether you've heard this, Johnny. I can't remember where I heard it, but it's this whole mentality of resetting in-game. Reset, reset. I think it's like an Andre Agassi thing. You know, control yeah. what you can control. Next point, next point. Don't worry about what yeah. has happened. Just completely reset. One. Yeah. So I think that's it. It's a very healthy mindset to have in sport. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. But if you can do it, you almost sort of become, you know, just the mind is taken out of it a little bit. Like your, your mind is calm because, you know, you, you've, you've calmed yourself you've down. You've got a reference point. Yeah. You're just focusing on the next yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think from a mental point of view, yeah, I really like where Melbourne's at. I like the fact that they're so driven uh, to achieve what they want to achieve. They know what's at stake. And yeah, I just don't think they're going to let this opportunity slip. It might be a very hard game. I sort of see this yeah. game going in one of two ways. And again, it's sport. Anything can happen. But Anything can happen on the day. I think the two most likely things are that's going to happen is Melbourne steadily builds their lead throughout the day and maybe breaks them late i don't know what the margin would be but it'd be a large-ish margin the other thing is it's pretty close all the way through and uh yeah it'll take something to separate at the end but i don't really see this game being a uh you know comprehensive win to the bulldogs i don't think that's on the cards it's either going to be you know melbourne grinding and uh you know getting enough score on the board to put some distance and eventually breaking them or it's going to be hard for it all day. Those are sort of the two ways I sort of see yeah. it playing out. I don't really see it being a shootout either. Um, but yeah, back on um, back on the preparation, I think the Melbourne's done it really well as well. And uh, having that 
high intensity session on Saturday. Uh, a few little heart and mouth moments, I think, with Charlie Spargo. Uh, the ankle, I think he's okay. And I think, do you see um, Harry Petty and Hippo jawing at each other at one point? Oh, I no, think. I didn't see any of that. But um, I think it takes a lot of courage to actually, you know, say, okay, you know, we're going into a prelim, we're going into a grand final, but we know that for us, we need to go, you know, full out, full on, or, you know, each player will do it slightly differently, but we're going to put you in a full-on match simulation and you're going to go at it. And you're going to yeah. do that because we know, well, we think this is the thing that's going to prepare you the best. We're not worried about if someone's going to be injured. Obviously, it would be terrible if they did, but you got to, you know, you got to take some risks. And I think uh, that really paid off. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it was a gutsy call as well. And I think it was also the correct call because I... Uh, read some things that people were saying, and oh, why did they have to do this? Why, why you know, why can't we just, uh, you know, have half tackles? You know, like just tackle and release of it. No, 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 none of this half, half baked stuff. Uh, you know, this is how you manage these long periods without playing a game. I mean, we all we've all heard about it. it's going to be one game in twenty eight days. This hit out was required, and I think uh, going back to what you were saying about coming out like guys possessed next week i think this will help a lot i think after two weeks of no footy and yeah like we just said there'll be one game in a month or whatever um they're gonna be sick of training with each other they're gonna be sick <laughs> of hitting and tackling each other they're gonna want to take it out on another team now and they're gonna come out i think breathing fire because of this and uh and i think those things like what happened with Petty and Hibbert and that's if that's kept under control, that stuff's very healthy. I don't think um I always find it weird when people make a big deal out of those incidents that happen at training sessions. Um like it depends how the club's managed and if you're in a good position, I guess, but I, I just find it funny when they make a bit of a mountain out of a molehill with that. Like, oh geez, did you see that? That guy tackled that guy too hard and they ended up yelling at each other. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's a contact sport and you know do, do you want players that care or do you want players that are just nonchalant and there to get a paycheck? Like, I think if it's managed well, it's it's a very good... It can be a very, very good thing, actually. Absolutely. All right. Some interesting stuff there. Let's move on to the next question. Who is the most dangerous player from the Bulldogs that Melbourne need to limit? Uh, yeah. Uh, look, it's... I think Bontempelli is the one that can damage the most when it all comes down to it. I was thinking of saying Aaron Norton if he could get a few, a few marks, but I think that I think the damage comes from Bont really in the end. Uh, I think if Bont fires, they have a chance. If Bont doesn't fire, it's going to be next to impossible, really. So, yeah, yep, that's my choice. Yeah, I was thinking earlier in the week maybe Bailey Smith. Because he's had a very influential final series, yeah. kicked plenty of goals, hard running, and you need that outside class. But yeah, I tend to agree. I think if Bulldogs are going to win this, Bont needs to have a very influential game, probably kick a couple of goals as well, set a few up. Yeah, He's he's their best player, and you need your best he's... players to be playing at their optimum if you're going to get the job done. And uh, we've just outlined how we think it's going to be really difficult for the dogs to win this game. Not to say they can't do it, but they need their captain. And, you know, he had that slight injury. I'm sure he's recovered by now. But, yeah, if if you get a vintage, you know, 
25-30 possession, highly efficient, two-goal, two-to-three-goal game from Bont, it's going to be close, or the It'll dogs are going to win. So It'll help a lot. I think, lot. I think it's the obvious thing to say, but it's probably the right thing to say that Bont is the guy Melbourne need to um, be a little bit aware of. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see, to see what they do because uh, they're probably not going to tag him. But, you know, looking at that round 19 game, I think a lot of people have described it as a bit of an outlier, the number of goals they got from stoppage, a bit of a wet night as well. But yeah, were, hard to get a read on that one. There are plenty of times where either Bontempelli or McRae were basically just sitting off a stoppage and a yep. Melbourne player didn't go anywhere near them. So I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do because, you know, by playing a player or two behind the ball, there are going to be free players somewhere. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they set up when, uh, you know, the ball's in coming in from a ball up or uh, throwing around the ground because you don't really want Bont standing by himself. No. <laughs> No, but traditionally, Dan, it is very good to learn those lessons in the home and away season. Yes, that and is not true. now. Yeah, so but just I just find that yeah. From a Melbourne perspective, you can't have your cake and eat it too, though, because you can't have a player behind the ball and manning up everyone. So you got to give away something. So it'll be interesting to see what they choose to give away. Yeah, look, maybe maybe they'll just pick their moments with it. Um, Maybe because there's been times when we've started to level it up a little bit more at times in the contest, and I think, uh, but yeah, typically not. Yeah, and I think it was even more exposed in that game because, as we've described, you know, Melbourne was probably at the end of a heavy training cycle, and the pressure just really wasn't there in that game. I know you thought no. it wasn't too bad, but compared to their optimal level, it was well down, and that just uh, you know exacerbated the problems with having McRae and Bontempelli wandering around by themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, when I look at that game, like, yeah, I didn't think our pressure was at its best. Um, what I took out of that game was a big plus because I thought that was also, we go back to those moments where you think that you might have a shot. That was another one really where I thought, hang on, we're now a team that has probably not played their best and we've lost to another very good team by a few goals. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was another one of those moments where I thought, we're legit. Uh, we can play better than this, obviously. We're still in the game, really. Um, but we did some other good things. I mean, we leveled the clearances. We were pretty. We matched them around the ground pretty well. So there were a lot of positives to take out of it. But yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, last question. Seeing what early in the game would send alarm bells through the Demons camp? Uh, if we were to see a lot of ground balls, loose ground balls inside defensive 50 and a lot of... Bulldogs players getting looks on goal, like Bailey Smith, like uh, Cody Waitman. Uh, yeah, that's that would definitely be sending alarm bells for me if we saw a lot of uh, scores from, yeah, I mean, scores from stoppages, just, just scores from loose balls, loose grand balls in general. Yeah, for me, what I'm looking for is handball chains coming out of stoppage. I think if we mm. see them linking up with handball chains around the ball, that spells danger and, uh, yeah, just also ground balls inside 50. So if they're able to, you know, get some early goals from that source combined with exiting out of the front of stoppage perhaps or just chaining out with handball, that would be alarm bells for me. Definitely the chaining with the handballs and just the running with pace. That's been the moment where we sometimes get caught off guard is – uh just a bit of run and carry to sort of get around our, yeah, I guess our web 
and just slice through sometimes. It doesn't happen often, uh, but it has happened a couple of times. All right. I think the last thing we have to do is uh, give a tip and a Norm Smith medalist, unless there's any other questions oh, or topics you want to jump into briefly before we wrap up. Uh, well, geez, uh, this is very strange, Dan, but I actually haven't even thought about this. Jeez. <laughs> um, Look. Oh, oh, man. I will have to go. I think I think Melbourne will win by 22 points. And I think Clayton Oliver, Norman Smith medal. Nice. Seen a few people have been going for some quite obscure Norman Smith medalists. I just don't, Maybe. I just don't think the whole obscure Norm Smith medalist happens that often anymore. Not really. If you look at the last sort of six to eight years, it's generally the guys on, you know, the, the really quite close to the top of the betting that are winning it. So, yes, I like the Oliver Cole there. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. What did you have? For me, I'm going to go, yeah, pretty similar. I'm thinking 25 points, Norm Smith medal to Petrarca. So again, very yeah, predictable. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> so yes, our thinking is pretty aligned here. Um, Can we do a smoky? A smoky yeah, yeah, sure. Smoky. Uh, look, I'm going to go for a smoky, Christian Salem. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's been really influential lately, and I think he might have been carrying a bit of an injury. He did miss a game it or was two, for a didn't he? Bit, yeah. So he seems yeah, to be getting, growing, I think, yeah, back to his best. So good call, Smoky for me. Oh, I haven't really thought much about this. Lever. He's not really a smoky, but, you know, it's unusual for a backman yeah. to win it. So I like it. Could be Maybe Lever. like another Brian Lake scenario. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just like Lever. So I haven't really thought a yeah, lot about the smoky. But <laughs> Lever. Why not? All right. All right. We did another hour, more or less, on Melbourne. I know there was a bit of Bulldog stuff <laughs> sprinkled in there. So. <laughs> If you're not a Melbourne supporter, I'm not sure whether you're still listening, but, you know, thanks for tuning in if you have been. And uh, we do yeah. have some, uh, I guess, uh, supporter agnostic content coming out as well with uh, the Lee <laughs> reliving some of these grand final moments and uh, counting down the best grand finals of the last 10 years. So we'll leave it there. Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. No problem. Go days. Go days, eh? And uh, yeah, enjoy the grand final wherever you can watch it. And uh, yeah, that's all we've got. See what happens, eh? Bye for now. Mm-hmm.